Tonight's scripture passage comes from Matthew 13, 31 through 35. (laughs) He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, AK. So we're going to jump right in to the parables tonight. Uh, she just read these to us. They're short and sweet. Uh, it's, a, it's as one of the guys, I think it was Taylor who was leading us tonight. He calls these a pair of parables, and that is what they are. It's a pair of parables. So we, uh, we're, we're going to take a look at these two short parables. No two parables that Jesus told. He told like over 30 parables um, no two parables that he told, though, have a more conflicting uh, interpretation than these two. People are starkly opposed one side or the other. Uh, I am going to go opposite of one of my favorite commentators. I think he's good. He's just wrong. Um, I'm just kidding. But let me, uh, let, let me get rolling as, uh, and pray for us as we start. Father, thank you so much for the songs that we get to sing to you the truth contained in those songs. Lord, for the person who has had a really crazy day, crazy start to this week, I ask that you would just assure them that you are totally capable of taking care of all that's going on in their life so that they can just be present for the next little bit. Lord, for the person who has gone through hardship, going through hardship, you're drawing them to you, would you help them to have strength to stay the course and see what you're doing and what you're about. And Lord, for the one who doesn't know you, I ask that tonight you would open that door and invite, uh, invite them to be a part of your plan and your purpose. And may they say yes. It's in Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen. So when we look at, at these, these parables, um, they're, they're, you can't like preach a parable and say 30 things. You can only say like one or two things because that's what every parable is about. When you look at like a 1 Corinthians 15, the, the treaties on the resurrection, it's like the most powerful chapter in the New Testament on what the resurrection is and what it means and, uh, and the hope Christians have. You can say tons and tons of things and bounce all over the place. But with parables, you kind of got to stay in your lane. Otherwise, you're not really teaching the parable anymore. And so I want to, uh, I want to just read to you a little statement that I wrote that I think is, is encompassed in these, these parables. So bear with me while I read this to you. I would say that the Lord is not done with you. And I think you'll see that in this parable tonight. You and I are broken and ruined, yet fearfully and wonderfully made. We, our, our sin is loathed, and yet we are loved. And we are beckoned with a call to be made new by walking into the arms of Jesus. However, the call 
no matter how tender it is, is cased in really hard words. The words are come and die. Only when the call is obeyed and the old me has been crucified with Christ can the new me live. The new me, which is redeemed of the Lord. It's given a fresh task on earth to help others come and die that they may live by the love of the Father, the grace of the Son, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. This is life that the Christian gets to experience in this new garden that was once overtaken by weeds, that began to be cultivated by Jesus, and is now left to his church. So tonight, what you'll see is this passage is about the true gospel, and I'm super excited to show you, I hope, flesh out the true gospel And if you say, man, I've heard the gospel so many times, then you need to hear it again. Because we can never truly get tired of the gospel. It's something that we should preach to ourselves every day, those of us that hold to Christ. And I think also you'll see that this parable, these parables are about the kingdom and the church. So so why parables? Uh, If you look at the last two verses that AK read, Uh, We'll start there, then we'll go to the parables. He says, it says, all these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables, indeed. He said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouths in parables. Listen to this last line. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. When a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi teaches, even today, but especially in the time of Jesus, they used three methods. Three methods. When you go to seminary today, you teach preaching. You take preaching classes, and then you have to preach in front of your friends, and uh, and you get different methods on how to preach. Uh, you then now with like so much so much social media and all with chat GBT, whatever else. Like uh, I mean, I didn't even write this sermon. Um, like you can. I mean, there's so many different ways to like preach and learn to preach now. But rabbis only had three systems. And they would incorporate those into everything they did. And one of the main systems that they had, one of those three, was parables. And so Jesus taught in parables, as would all rabbis. If he was here today, he would still teach in parables. And the reason is because the rabbis said, we need to tell you the truth. But sometimes truth is hard to pick up. Like when I tell you, hey, the good news of the gospel of Jesus. Well, that is, that is a true statement but it's really hard for you to walk out of here and do something with that. And so what a parable does is it gives you handles. And so they called parables the baskets handles. And so Jesus was teaching in parables to try to give a a way for people to pick up what he was saying and take it with them. And so that's why he did it so many times. There's uh, a passage right before this, I won't get into it, but it's in the same chapter, verses 10 through 17, that some people read and, uh, and they say, oh, Jesus was trying to hide his message from the people. And he's quoting from the prophets when it's uh, in Matthew 10, 13 through 17. But what he's saying to the disciples is, guys, you get it. You get it. And so you don't have to have all the parables because you get it. But these people... They don't get it, and I want them to get it. And so that's why I'm bringing them parables. I think that's one of the reasons he also was such a beloved and interesting to listen to teacher. 
He could give these really powerful parables, which by the way, he didn't make up all the parables. Some of the parables were very common. They were taught all over the place. For instance, the parable of the prodigal, most of you know that story. A dad, two sons, one son's really good, stays home, does all the work, the other son's bad, goes off and spends all his money on uh, women, wine, song, all those things, and, uh, and then he comes back home. Well, most of the time, that story was told just like that by the rabbis, and so you would tell a rabbi's theology by how they ended the story. Most of the rabbis, when the young son would come back home, the father would say, I have nothing to do with you. When Jesus told the story, the father is waiting daily for the son to come back home. And when he comes back home, he kills the fattened calf. So Jesus didn't make up all the parables, but he told them differently. And so tonight we're going to look at two more of these parables about the kingdom and about the church. And uh, I think what you'll see is they're short and to the point, and they actually contain most of what the rest of the New Testament discusses. Now, this is fascinating. Jesus is only, we only have like some of his sermons recorded and a few things that he said recorded. The rest of the New Testament is trying to break down what he said, what he meant, and what it looks like to follow Jesus. That's, I mean, he, he's just that much of a, uh, of a powerful force. And so I, I think that when Jesus can sum up most of the New Testament in two stories, it once again shows he is brilliant. So let's look at this in two ways. Let's go with the macro, like what does this mean for, for people, the globe, all across time, across cultures? And then let's look at it in the micro, what does it mean for me and you in, in almost October of 2023? Uh, I think a macro understanding of this parable, let's just look at the parable, it's only three verses, let's look at both of them. We'll look at the, we'll read the first one, we'll read verses 31 and 32. He put... Another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like, this whole section of parables is about the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make their nest in its branches. I'll go ahead and read verse 33. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all, <clears throat> excuse me, all leavened. So I drew a little hand down here and in this little, there's the seed. If you've ever, um, if you've ever seen a mustard seed, they're smaller than that. We, in fact, we put one in everyone's chair tonight. <laughs> I did write that in my notes. I was wondering if it would be funny. Um, <clears throat> and so... We didn't, by the way, we didn't. You're not sitting on a mustard seed. Uh, <clears throat> so what we see here is this is a kingdom parable. And throughout time and history, not at the moment it was told, but what we begin to see is that Jesus is the king. And so Hebrews 1.3 says he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So Jesus is the king, and this is about his kingdom. And his kingdom is both now, when you and I are gathered together, we represent the kingdom, and yet, it's not yet. 
When you go out and you do your work, I look at some of you and several of you are in healthcare and, uh, and like you, you see the fallen world all the time. You see people come in for all kinds of things. You know his kingdom is not yet fully realized. And so he is the king and his kingdom is coming and yet his kingdom is already here. First Corinthians 15, 24 through 28. I'll just read you the first couple of verses out of that. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule, every authority and power, he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So we see that the king, only the true king, the king of kings, could put death to death. And so he's telling this, these parables about his kingdom, and he is the king, and yet some of this is yet to be realized. So for now, all who follow him are a part of his kingdom on earth, and one day the full power of the kingdom will be realized. And so Jesus was telling these parables to help this make sense. So let's take a look at it. It's a mustard seed. He's telling the parable of how his kingdom is going to grow. Now, it's a mustard seed. Jesus chose 12 disciples initially. And so for three years, this ragtag group of 12, along with some women, followed him around. Now, most of the time, they were confused by all accounts on what they were doing, who Jesus was, uh, why he was leading them, why he loved them, and yet he entrusted the keys of the church to them, and, uh, and he ministered alongside them for three years. So we see this is the beginning of the mustard seed. This is, Jesus is telling the parable, and the guys listening don't even know that they are the mustard seed. But it started so small, this thing that we gather every Tuesday and all over the globe and on Sundays, it started so small, so small and so insignificant, they didn't even know it was happening. And then Jesus loses one, he loses Judas, and so now there's 11 and the women. And then Jesus goes to a cross and he dies. And three days later, he rises from the dead. And 40 days later, he's gone. And now the women and the disciples are gathered in the upper room for 10 days praying. Meanwhile, all the Jews from all over the, the globe were gathering back in Jerusalem to celebrate Shavuot, which in the New Testament we call Pentecost. It was a Jewish holiday. They were gathering from all over in Jerusalem. And on the day that Shavuot, Pentecost happens, the disciples and the women are praying. The Holy Spirit falls on them like fire. Peter, who had just denied Jesus 40 or so days before, 50 or so days before, excuse me, he goes out and preaches the sermon of a lifetime. 3,000 people are saved and the church of Jesus Christ is born. They had no idea that the seed had even been dropped on the soil when Jesus called to Peter called to James, called to John and said, come and follow me. A few hundred years later, it would become the religion of Rome. And now, some people say as many as two billion in the world know Christ and would say that they follow him. It's the smallest of all the seeds. Almost imperceptible, undetectable, really. 
And then you think about the birds in this story. This thing, the kingdom, the church, has also provided rest for so many along the way. I've been doing a little like World War II, like reading, watching all those things um, because there's a strike. So you have to watch old stuff. Um, And so like I've been watching some World War II stuff and there were so many Christians that were helping the Jewish people who were not followers of Christ. They were birds of the air landing on the tree that is the church, finding rest. And it all started so small. They didn't even know it was happening. The church has been beaten. It's been abused from the inside and out. The church of Jesus, however, continues to grow and be strong and survive. Whether drought, whether heat, whether freezing cold, I think the greatest apologetic for Christianity is that the church of Jesus Christ is still alive and lives are still being changed. And then when we look at the leaven, that verse 33, kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and she hid in three measures of flour until it was all leaven. Some people will say that this would be enough for, to, to feed over 100 people worth of bread. And it's just this little tiny bit of leaven. I love how Matthew Henry, he was in the 1600s, mid-1600s, early 1700s. Uh, he was a, a preacher and he wrote a, a concise Bible commentary. Um, so when you, re- when you see this language, you'll know that it's not like, it's, it's, it's dated. So let me just show you this quote. To show that the beginning of the gospel would be small, but its latter end would greatly increase In this way, the work of grace in the heart, the kingdom of God within us would be carried on. In the soul where grace truly is, it will grow really. Though perhaps at first not to be discerned, it will at last come great strength and usefulness. The preaching of the gospel works like leaven in the hearts of those who receive it. The leaven works certainly, and so does the word, yet gradually, Listen to this. I love how he says this. It works silently without being seen, yet strongly without noise, for so is the way of the Spirit, but without fail. The quiet, almost unnoticeable leaven, it's the word of God when it's placed into your heart. So I think the parable of, from a macro level, the parable of the mustard seed and the, the mustard tree is a parable about how the kingdom of God would grow. And I think the only distinction between the two is that the parable of the leaven, we know that when you introduce leaven into dough, that a chemical reaction takes place, which is a change. And so I think what you see is that, that the church of Jesus Christ will survive and grow And the word of God, when put into people's lives, will also grow and change them. So these macro understandings of the parables in the end would show that the kingdom of God in the church and in people's lives would achieve extraordinary growth. 
So then what's the micro? If that's the macro, if that's like big picture all over the world, what's the micro understanding of these parables for you and for me? Uh, Remember I told you earlier, the ideas contained in these parables are what most of the rest of the New Testament is discussing. And so it can't mean something to us that it wouldn't mean to that original audience. Uh, And so I would say the mustard seed and the birds represent growth. The leaven represents change. Both are tiny. Both have extraordinary growth. But listen to this. The mustard seed will never be a cedar. The church of Jesus will never be a cedar. It'll never be the giant sequoia. Jesus could have told the story that way if he wanted it to be that way. The church will always be the underdog. There will always be bigger trees around. And remember, his kingdom is coming and it's here, but it's not yet here. And so you need to know that he has placed you in the minority. He has looked down from his throne and seen you and said, that one, that one can handle it. By my grace, by my power, that one can walk the walk. That one can travel the road. Uh, So look, as as a healthy seed in good soil grows, so does the church and Christians, but will always be the, the underdog. The church was always gonna yield what God puts into it. And so the same with, with, the, with the leaven. Uh, the, the, the leaven is never going to produce fogo de chao, all right? It is never gonna produce a Brazilian steakhouse. Like, it's always going to produce rising dough. It's always going to make bread. And isn't that good that Jesus didn't say uh, she like threw this magic sauce down and like 50 different things were produced. No, he said one thing is produced. And so with Christians, there should be some similarities between us. Regardless of of race and gender and socioeconomic background and all of those things, we should have some things in common where people are like, I met you and I met you and you are not the same, but you are very similar in some strange ways. Because he produces little Christs. When Christ is put in us, we little Christs are produced, and so we should resemble one another. There shouldn't be 50 different kinds of us. We should be very unified. And so I think to, to apply this a little bit more to our modern context, we, we need to look at ourselves, but we also need to look at the rest of culture. There's so much now on, on like... Um, on de-churching, on deconstructing, there's like all the D's. I'm ready for like the the Rees or something. I don't know, something else. Like it's like it's like everything's falling apart. That's what you see. I just bought a book. Um, I was going through it. It's called the de-churching. Uh, I was like, of course, the de-churching. It's a very academic book. They spend a lot of time studying very depressing things. Um, and so it's it's a great little book though. It's by Jim Davis and and Michael Graham, and they have a lot to say in their academic work. Uh, however, however, I would say that the biggest thing they say in their book is that the American church is going through the fastest changes it's ever seen. 
And you are an exception to this. You're here on a Tuesday night. But so many people are, are leaving the church. And, and, but we look at these parables and we're like, well, was Jesus wrong? I thought the church was supposed to continue to grow. And I thought people that had the, the leaven of Christ put in them were to change. So why is so much falling apart? Well, I, I think it goes... Uh, for one reason, I think it goes back the last 150 years. I think over the last 150 years, the main thing that the church has produced is not little Christs. I think the main thing the church has produced is, uh, is behavior modification and this idea called moralistic therapeutic deism. That's the main things that have been produced. Let me just show you a, a graph. I took it out of that book. I combined a couple of graphs. Don't tell them. Um, but <clears throat> these are the reasons that people have given 18, or I'm sorry, these folks are 25 to 39. So this is like you, 25 to 39. These are the parental reasons that people left the church. Uh, they said, my parents have an inability to listen. And these parents are Christians, quote unquote. And these people were Christians, quote unquote, and Christians. Their inability to engage with other viewpoints, all their emphasis on culture war lost me over time. I wanted Jesus without all the evangelical baggage. Amen to that. Uh, their racial attitudes or reactions, their intolerance of my views of gender, their misogynistic attitudes or actions, their lack of love, joy, kindness, gentleness, and generosity, and then last, their hypocritical attitudes and actions. These are the reasons giving, uh, that, that are being given by so many folks who were sitting where you're sitting and are not here anymore. And maybe tonight some of you are like, I'm here because so-and-so invited me, but I would not be here otherwise, and I would agree with that list. And you know what? I agree with you agreeing with the list. I think there are so many folks that are Christians that, that fit the bill for all of these in the previous generations. And it seems around the, the, around the turn of the 20th century, the church uh, was taught much about morals and behavior. To be a Christian meant like, I don't drink, I don't chew, I don't go with girls that do. Like, you know, uh, and so that's like a good Christian. Um, and, and that lasted for a couple of generations, but then two things happened. One, you were born, and two, the world changed really quick. And when you were born and the iPhone comes out in like 07 and the world changes overnight, you saw the, the faith that was modeled before you and you started asking questions why and there were no good answers. You would ask things like, uh, you would ask things like, why is LGBTQIA a sin? And people, or why is that wrong? And they would say, because it's a sin. Uh, you would ask, well, how come a Christian can't be uh, a liberal? At least you would ask that in the South. And people would say, well, liberals vote for abortion. And you would, you would, get, uh, you would get those kinds of, of comments and lack of explanations. And, and you, you just had had enough and then you would see that these conservatives who were Christians, and you know what I'm talking about, because you come from a lot of them. 
You would see these like conservatives that are Christians. And if you really look close, you would see, I think those conservative Christians are really more interested in keeping their money and their comfort than they are Jesus. And Jesus is the mask they use to keep their money and their comfort. And then you start justifying, well, the church was wrong about slavery and the crusades and other stuff. I'm sure it's wrong about things now. The context that I ministered to before I came here, what made you a good Christian was if you, uh, if you got good grades and you went to church and you got into a good college and you never, had a re- you never had an arrest, and if so, you had like a really good lawyer to get that cleared, but you never had an arrest, and then you get a good job and you make a bunch of money, and that would make you a Christian. Listen to me on this. Listen, if you can be an atheist and accomplish the same things, it's not Christianity. I will say it again. If you can be an atheist and accomplish the same things, it is not Christianity. That's just moralistic, therapeutic deism. And so it's no wonder that people walked away from the faith. You see, you are a force. I really believe it. You're here on Tuesday nights. You're here on Sundays. You're serving the church. You're in small groups. The Lord is changing you. You are a force. You hope for something better. You have begun to see the true gospel of Jesus, that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. He raised you to a new life. And hear me on this. You know this world is not your home. And so you're not going to put a lot, of, a lot of stock in making this place as comfortable as you can make it. Look, you, you, you know that the kingdom of heaven, Jesus' kingdom, can't be stopped. You know it's that mustard seed, and you know when it's planted, nothing can stop that from growing. You know when the leaven is put in the heart, the word of God is put in the heart, change can't help but, but happen. You know it's not moralism. And he is stirring in you. I believe this with all my heart. I think he is stirring in you, the young adults of, of Christ's covenant and beyond in this city. I think he is stirring in you a rebellion against all that is unholy. I think he's calling you to know him deeply and to follow him wholly and to steal souls that are hell bound into the glorious arms of Jesus. And some of you, are scared deep in your core saying, dear God, please don't let my faith have me end up sitting by some nice body of water at the end of my days, hoping that my money won't run out until I die. And here's the good news. Don't worry. That's not the mustard seed. That's not what the mustard seed becomes. I believe with all my heart that so many of you, you, the seed was planted. You don't even remember when it was planted. You didn't know it was planted, but it was dropped into your life, and now this thing is growing. The kingdom of God is welling up in so many of you. The leaven was placed, and you didn't even know it was placed, but the change is happening uh, I, I, I love the quote that Rich Mullins gave or the story that he told. You don't have to listen to his music. I don't think you would like it. Um, but I do, I do really like him as a person, um, and I think you would like him as a person. Uh, he passed away in 97, though. It's hard to get to know him. Um, but he, uh, 
He, he told this story about how he would go to Ireland every once in a while, and when he went to Ireland, he finally bought one of those wool sweaters that all the Irish fishermen wear, and he was so proud about that sweater. And uh, each one is different, um, and the story goes that when the, the wives and the girlfriends and the moms would make these sweaters for their fishermen, boyfriends, sons, husbands, uh, that if they died while they were fishing, that, that when they washed up on the shore, you could, you could identify them by their sweater um, because fish don't eat, sweater, eat wool. And so, like... They, they might not be all there, but the sweater will. And so, uh, and he said, you know what? When I die, he said, I want to spend this life. I want to spend this life fully for the Lord. And when I die, I hope I wash up on the shores of heaven. And the angels walk up and they say, what is that? But the Lord, when he walks up, he'll recognize that old sweater. And he'll say, that one, that one's mine. And so I think the people that have walked away, the de-churched, I don't think they were ever churched, a bunch of them. Because when the real leaven is put into your life, it makes change. I don't care how much Roundup you spray, the, 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 the mustard seed that turns into a tree, it will grow. Jesus wasn't wrong in telling these stories. I, I want you men to grow old and be Simeon who was found in the temple waiting for Jesus to show up before he died. This past Sunday, I went to First Baptist Sandy Springs, and I, I sat there as, as Jason preached our first uh, service over there, and we were with the, with the old folks. The old folks, I said it, didn't mean to say that. We were, okay, the guy in front of me was 95, 95, and that's a true story. And, uh, and I looked, I looked, and you know what I noticed on him besides his cane? He never stood up, not one song. I don't blame him. He stood up a lot of times in his life. Um, but you know what I noticed? I noticed his socks. He had the socks that had like the heel that you can see, like the, you know, the, little, the little heel patch that you can see, and they were perfectly lined up. And now there was, no, there was no little old missus next to him. It was just him. And I thought, how much effort... Did it take him to get those socks lined up just right before he came to church? It took him more effort to get down there and line those socks up than it did for me to do anything that morning. But he wasn't going to miss a word that God might give him. I want us to be those folks. I want us to be Anna, Anna who was prophesying and praying, waiting for the Messiah in, in, in the temple before Jesus came. Look, I, I want you to see these, these verses in, in Ephesians 2. You know 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of work so that no one may boast. Therefore, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The Lord has saved you and redeemed you, and he's got a whole new set of plans for you. And that's what it means when you're a part of the tree. It's not the tree and something else. You're just the tree. You're just the, the product of God, the leaven of God taking over your life. You're not that and some other stuff. You're just that, and he's got a whole new set of plans for you. Uh, the verses that I'm going to use for the rest of the year, kind of our theme verses, are Matthew 7, 13 through 14. And, uh, and I'm about to be done, by the way. Matthew 7, 13 through 14 says this, Enter by the narrow gate, the straight gate. That's the old English, straight. 
I like that. Enter by the straight gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is straight and the way is narrow that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Do you see the visual there? Jesus said, look, I want you to come into my kingdom, but you can't bring your bags. It's a a straight gate. It's not oval shaped. It's not luggage shaped. It's not backpack on your back shaped. It's a straight gate. You kind of got to turn sideways to get through it. And the path, the path is narrow. No room to carry extra things on this path. The rest of that Matthew Henry quote is this. Thus it was in the world. Thus it is in the heart. When the gospel comes into the soul, it works a thorough change. It spreads itself into all the powers and faculties of the soul. And it alters, I love how he says this, and it alters the property even of the members of the body. And then he quotes Romans 6.13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. From these parables, listen to this, from these parables, we are taught to expect a gradual process. Therefore, let us inquire, are we growing in grace? and holy principles and habits. So let's just ask real honest. You're at church on a Tuesday night. I would think that most of you would say, I am a Christian. I know that not everyone is a Christian, and I know that everyone would not say that. But let me just ask you, is there change in your life? Because if the Lord has planted his word in your heart, it may be slow, we don't know how long that woman had that, that, those, those loaves hidden. And Jesus, in his brilliance, left the time out of it, but time is still in it. He just left the specifics. So we don't know how long, but if the word of God has been planted in your heart for any length of time, there should be at least the beginnings of change. Is that true? If, if the seed, the mustard seed of the church, the kingdom has fallen on you, there should be growth. Growth and change. You're becoming, you're, you'll surprise yourself at what you start becoming. You'll agree with Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it until the day of Christ. It begins so small and so quiet. But once Jesus begins a work, you better watch out. Because he will see that thing through. And by the way, he'll make you miserable if you try to stop it. That's why some of you got broken up with or have been broken up with. That's why some of you got in trouble at work. That's why there's stuff happened to you that you can't explain. Some of you, I'm not saying everything is that, but I'm saying some of it is that. Some of it is the Lord saying, you are trying to stop my growth in your life. And so I will put a hold on your life. Let's not take that too far. We get into like prosperity theology. And then I have to like preach a whole sermon on that. That's not what I mean. But just know that's a thing. The church will go forward. Think about this. 
Israel was going to leave Egypt. No matter what, period. That was God's plan. Israel was going to leave Egypt, and he was going to have somebody take them out of Egypt. And if Moses had just kept saying no over and over and over again, God would have found someone else to do it. Because why? Because the plans of God cannot be thwarted. The church will go on, and the church will survive the, G- the de-churching. And you're proof of that. But if you're on board with it, you just got to know that your visions will die. What you can accomplish will be lost. But listen to this. God will give you a vision, a God-sized thing in your heart that only he can accomplish to replace all those things that you could accomplish. I remember when I was in college and I found myself super alone I prayed one little tiny prayer and I had no idea that it was the leaven of God that had put that there. It was the seed that God put. I had no idea. I just blurted out one night, Lord, would you use me? I had no idea he would call me into ministry. I had no idea we would be here now. I had no idea I'd get to see all these incredible things that the Lord has done. But because he put that in my heart, there was no stopping it because you can't stop what he's doing. And so for some of you that are, it's been a while since you've seen growth. It's been a while since you've seen change. I challenge you with Galatians 6, 9, do not grow weary and doing good. At the proper time, you will reap a reward if you do not give up. And some of you, The catalyst that you need is found in the Revelation. Revelation 2, 4, it says, the Lord says, but I have this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent, listen to this, and do the works you did at first. And he says, if not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. My challenge to you is this. Some of you that are stagnant in your faith, what did you used to do to spur that walk on with God? Because his kingdom is coming. His kingdom's here. The true gospel brings change. The true gospel does way more than moralism. And so for some of you that have been wounded by the church, some of you that have walked away disillusioned, I hope that tonight as we sing you'll be ministered to by the Holy Spirit. I hope tonight as we hang out in the lobby, you'll see the change that only God can bring in these people's lives. Saturday when we're in Auburn, now I'm an Auburn fan, watching Auburn have a bad day. Um, Like, and I'm an Auburn fan. It's gonna be tough, it's gonna be tough. Um, Saturday when we're there and we're all hanging out together and we're tailgating and having a great time, I hope that you see, man, this, this is like a picture of the feast in the kingdom. This is beautiful as the church of God rallies together, even around silly things like football. The church of Jesus is gonna grow and it's gonna advance. Those who have the word of God implanted in them will change. What does your life look like in light of that? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for these stories that you've given us. The kingdom starts so small. 
And yet, Lord, your kingdom cannot be stopped. Lord, would you let us be a part of that kingdom? Lord, would you use us? And Father, when your word comes into our life, it starts so small. And yet, Lord, when it takes hold, we are changed from the inside out. Lord, would you let us evaluate, not what title we give ourselves, Christian or not, but would you let us evaluate if you have begun to work in our life? Lord, for those whose lives you have begun to work in, would you continue and complete it? And Lord, for everyone else, I ask that tonight would be the night you would begin a work in their life. Draw them to yourself, Father. There's no better place to be. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.